Hi, everyone, and we're back to the Neil Haley Show and the Total Celebrity segment, and I'm excited to welcome, I guess you probably have worn every hat, a director, a producer, everything, Joel Swasson. How are you, man? And you know what? It's interesting. Your career has spanned a long time, hasn't it? How long have you been in this industry? Um, yeah, it's, it's scary when I look back at it because I realize that that's a lot of water over the dam, but um, I started... Um, you know, like most people do as a, as a PA gopher type guy uh, in the early 80s. When was that? Somewhere in the last century. Really? Okay, so let's start out. Did you always want to be involved in film? Is that something? Uh, not like a lot of people. It seems like there's a whole generation uh, that I grew up with that wanted to be like astronauts and and doctors and lawyers and all the Indian chief kind of things. And then they saw Star Wars and they knew exactly what they wanted to be for the rest of their life. That right. didn't happen to me. I didn't have that epiphany. I just kind of liked art in the beginning. I went to art school, wanted to be a painter, got into the visual side, drifted into animation, from animation into motion pictures. And from there, it was all about just find, finding a job on a set and working my way up. And at a certain point, I think I knew this wasn't a lark and it was something I'd like to do for a while. Um, I didn't know that while would be the next 40 years. 40 years. You don't look it. Is that because you love oh, what you Thank you. Thank you. Is, it's, it's formaldehyde. It's, I highly recommend it. Okay. All right. So let's talk about it. You started out like the PA route, all that different things. So once you found out film is what you wanted to do, did you, how did you say, I'm going to go out and do this? It seems like you just said, I'm going to start from the ground up. Yeah. You know, um, I, I, I recommend to anybody who's interested is just work every job you can get. I wanted to be a cinematographer. That was my goal because it, again, it goes back to the visual side of the, of the, of the medium. And I'm really at the end of, or nearing the end of my career, possibly. Um, um, still a frustrated cinematographer. I never got that goal because I wound up finding something else I could do and somebody wanted to hire me for. And that started off as a writer. I was listening to a producer named Sandy Howard that I worked for back in the, uh, the early 80s um, saying he wanted uh, to do a kind of a dog movie, family film, dog gets lost in the New York okay. airport and he has to go all the way across the country to find his mistress Lillian Gish and I just said well hey what if he here's an idea and I gave him two pages and he said yeah okay you you write it and from then on I was a writer and then you know a pro producer and a few other things and uh ended up doing some directing and yeah a couple movies came and went during that time. Definitely did. So would you feel when you were part of that, that you were meant for more? You know, I'll tell you one thing that, that I look back at if, if I'm you and I'm, here's this guy that I'm going to interview and, and I look at his resume and wow, this guy does horror movies. That's what, that's what he's all about. And it really wasn't at all what I was about. Um, I like horror films. I don't sort of live and breathe them, but um I did a couple early on in my career that were successful and success obviously is what breeds success. And pretty soon you find yourself, I don't want to say typecast, but that's, that's your kind of go-to genre. And uh, I could get movies made so easily 
as a, a horror filmmaker. And then when I wanted to do, you, you know, nobody wanted my version of my best friend's wedding, you know, <laughs> I just said, okay, that's a harder road for me. So uh, I will stick with the, the, uh, the, 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 the slash and burn, you know? See, and the thing horror movies in the eighties, but I'm going to go, I, I have to go. There's two things we'll talk about first. Then we're going to talk about Harvey Weinstein. I can't believe we get to talk about this. Is just like the greatest <laughs> questions. Uh oh. Yeah. See, but that's your PR. Hey, I can't help it, man. <laughs> I'm more interested in. I'm honestly really more interested in no uh, in in Freddie and Nightmare. My co-host is joining. Happy us. to talk about anything. But no let, worries. We'll just keep talking. So let's okay. talk first about Nightmare on Elm Street. Now. Mm -hmm. I watched that movie 150 times. I started to get into horror. I had it on a VHS tape that somebody bootlegged. Sorry, I took mm -hmm. many, took different things, uh, you know. So I'm, I'm keeping I'm, track. Confessions, hey, you know, I'm six foot ten. So get me in a <laughs> horror flick. Are you gonna get? Can you ever? Do you think you could use some of my size? You bet. You bet. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Because I don't want lines. I just want to kill people. Okay. Uh, you are, you are totally right for us. Hey, Dave, Dave's here, Dave. We're just keep talking and you could go question. Um, hey, Dave. I'm talking to Dave. Once Dave's on his people, we don't see the camera yet. Cause we're just going back and forth. Once I see him talk, he's good. Okay. All right. So let's just jump to nightmare in Elm street. Oh my gosh. I mean, when, how did you get involved in this film? And did you think it would be such a cult classic that people are still talking about today? Mm. The level. Yeah. Yes and no, actually. Um, and I have to say, I geeked out on that first one just like you did. Um, I saw that movie and I thought, okay, that is <clears throat> nearly the perfect horror film. And um, um, when Bob Shea at New Line called myself and my then producing partner over to, to make the sequel, it was like, yeah, how could we say no to this? It's just like a dream come true to be involved in that franchise. And it, it was one of the special horror films that I've been involved in. Some of them, you know, not so excitedly, but definitely not. How much, it didn't cost much to make. Like it, it, it was a cult classic, but didn't expect to be, right? Uh, yeah, well, Bob Shea made that film uh, on a wing and a prayer with, with no money. It was like, and he had no profit participation. He sold all his rights away and basically just said, look, I love this film so much. I just want to get it made. And it wasn't until number two that we produced that um, he had a chance to actually make some money and, and save his, his then very fledgling studio. And so as important as Nightmare One was creatively to Bob, Nightmare Two was the survival of his whole dream as a, as a, as a, a film mogul. And uh, it paid off in, in multiples. It was a huge success. And that's and that's awesome, Dave. Were you a fan of Nightmare on Elm Street in the eighties? No, but I was a fan of Bill and Ted. <laughs> okay, so we'll go to the Bill and Ted question for you. We'll save Bill and Ted for you. Oh man, I can please everybody on this interview. It, it, this it is was, great. It was it was a bit, it was a bit, and that's what's funny. It was it's a bit. Oh, here here's my joke. I guess it was a bit gory, and that's probably why. I mean, think about this. Even a beautiful girls. There is the, everything that you want in a teenage slasher flick. However, it could be a nightmare for people after watching this film. Yeah. And I remember that, that, you know, am I between that and 
the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. They're probably the two most dangerous films for nightmares for people after watching them, right or wrong? In the well, it, it was a brilliant conceit that, that Wes had for that, that film. And why I think it's so brilliant is you can run away from the Texas Chainsaw guy. You can run away from Jason or, or Michael Myers or any of those guys, but you have to sleep. And how many of us, you know, whether it was finals in school or whatever, we just had to stay awake and couldn't. And that that slow fighting, fighting sleep and staying awake and knowing you're going to lose that battle. And in this particular movie, you lose that battle, you lose your life. And it was so relatable, much more relatable than being in a camp you know, in a cabin on a, on a lake in a campground or something. It's like, okay. Yeah, come on. That's not going to happen. But something coming in your nightmares that really happen when we all have nightmares. That's so true. And then to wake up and you couldn't run away. And then to know that your parents were guilty of the reason why you're being stalked in your sleep. So that, that, that whole chain of responsibility and guilt that comes through this. I mean, Wes is a master when it comes to the, the whole psychology of people and not just the latex monster running around, you know, chopping people up. That's what I really got into. What was your job as a producer when you have someone working like Wes? And then I'm going to allow Bill and Ted questions because Dave's already frightened by the nightmare question. Dave's all, he's wandered off already. Um, come back, Dave. We'll get to Bill hey, No, no, he, he, still, he's, he doesn't have his camera on. That's okay. It's fine. I know. I'm we, kidding. Anyway, um, I've worked with Wes time and time again over the years um, as a producer, uh, as, as a writer um, on uh, Dracula 2000 that he, he presented. Um, and um, I've come in and, and rewritten like Scream 4, which, you know, he was not too happy about. And I, I shot trailers first, what was it, Cursed, I think, that he wasn't happy about. I mean, there were things that, that, that we clashed on creatively, largely because many of those times I was, I was um, um, the guy who was answering to the studio. And he was the other guy saying, this is how I want to do it as an auteur. Um, so I love the man. I have huge respect for him, but it wasn't always like a, an easy relationship between the two of us. And in the case of, of Nightmare 2, yeah. it was a very pleasant relationship because he wasn't the director. It was a guy named Jack Shoulder. And he had basically sort of stepped back from it and said, you know what, I've, in, I've created the, the world. Now somebody else gets to inhabit it. And so... Um, it was it was fun to do that. It, it's there's two there's two modes in my my career. One where we create the world, and the other one where we come into someone else's world and make a sequel out of it. And then you're bound by kind of a bible of rules, which is kind of fascinating. Okay, now to Bill and Ted. Dave, go ahead. Well, uh, what came first, the chicken or the egg? I mean, were you doing uh, uh, writing, acting, producing, directing first? What and, um, and how, and how did Bill and Ted come across your desk, so to speak? There was a uh, very famous Italian um, producer named Dino De Laurentiis. I don't know if that name rings a bell to anybody, but um, he came to the U.S. during the 80s and, and started a studio 
Dealer Ennis Entertainment Group, um, to to stand up to the studios and and compete with them. And um, and he brought us over, having seen Nightmare Two, to make his own um, little uh, sort of horror film in that world called Trick or Treat or Trick and Treat he called it because he had no idea what Trick or Treat even was he just liked the, the name um, and um, so he made this horror film which became a little bit of a cult classic of its own and the next thing because of the success of that he said hey um, I'll sign you up to like a five picture deal so we had a, a development guy named Mike Petzold who was out there looking for the best script he could find and he brought back in like a week this script called Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and said, you have to make this. And I said, I read it and it, I thought it was just amazingly good, but convincing this Italian producer who barely understood English um, to make this movie about a bunch of kids in, in San Dimas, um, California with, it was, you know, the whole culture of teenage, yeah. you know, Bill and Ted speak was, utterly beyond his grasp. But what wasn't was the fact that he had made one of the definitive Napoleon epics. Uh. And so when he saw that Napoleon showed up in our movie, yeah. that was, the, that was the, the breakthrough. It was like, oh, Napoleon's in it, okay. And, and what Genghis about, <laughs> and what? And Genghis Khan. And Genghis Khan, yeah, he had, I don't think he was as wired into Genghis, but <laughs> Napoleon, man, that was it. And then when he was mistranslated uh, a scene in early in the movie that was, I think it was uh, exterior, <laughs> the world of San Dimas. And I think he, he, he interpreted it as the war of San Dimas. So the war of San Dimas, Napoleon, that was really enough to get him into the movie and we were off and running. Well, whatever it takes. <laughs> exactly. That's the, if I can boil my career down to, to three words, it would be that. Now, Keanu Reeves, was that his very first role or was he doing stuff before? No, it wasn't. He had done a very serious uh, and a, a, a super movie called The River's Edge, I think, before Bill and Ted's, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but when he walked in as Ted, I mean, he just, everybody knew that was, who he, there was no more casting after that for that role. He just defined it and owned it and kind of has owned it ever since. I think there's two Keanu Reeves now. There's that guy and then there's the Matrix guy and he sort of bounces in between. A brilliant, brilliant guy. And I think he's deservedly an icon, but um yeah, I mean, if there was any kind of aha moment in the movie, in the, in the, in the process of making it, it was Keanu. And his, the actor that was with him, I can't remember his name, but- Alex uh, Winter. Yeah, um, a little less known. What has he done since or before? Alex, it's interesting. You couldn't really come up with two more different approaches to the filmmaking as a craft. Um, Alex, I thought was- equally good, but he was riding off this kind of thing for us of the Spicoli vibe, you know, that yeah. from Fast Times. Yes. We kind of saw and understood what he was and 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 how he sort of fit into the thing. And, and I think he did brilliantly, but Alex is a thinker. I mean, he, he wanted to do conceptual movies, avant-garde stuff. He went off and did um, super 
daring art films as a director and a writer and an actor and um, has done some powerful documentaries recently um, and some acting. Obviously, he's, he's showed up in the in the last uh, most recent Bill and Ted, but um, um, that's his trajectory. He's a he's he's a complete filmmaker. So he's successful in his own right as well. Yes. Yes, uh, he is. And he's still getting paid probably for Bill and Ted. Yes. Uh, a couple of nickels and dimes fall into his lap from Bill and Ted. <laughs> and then they I'm did sure. another one, right? They did another one, this one, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, no, okay. All right. So jumping here to Harvey Weinstein before his latest project, <laughs> I have to go to the first thing about his relationship with Harvey. And now just, I guess, I don't know where to go with those questions, just your experience working with him. Because, uh, um, well, I'll frame it a little bit differently because I worked from the mid '90s on to up till about six or seven years ago. I worked almost exclusively with the Weinstein's and their various incarnations, Miramax and Dimension and the Weinstein Company. But it was almost exclusively with Bob Weinstein, not Harvey, because I did my first film that got me in the door with those guys was a film called Mother's Boys, which Harvey was producing. And he's the first one to hire me. And uh, short story version, uh, we didn't click. He fired my sorry ass. So uh, it's so funny. You talk about Wes and you not getting all. So the, you're, you're, you're pretty vicious, tough uh, director. In a way, would you say if I, I if any if anything, I'm just too nice and not savage enough for a lot of these people. I think no, not so much with Wes, but with with uh, other uh, studio execs who want probably more uh, blood in the water than I'm willing to to <laughs> cause. But um, but Bob Bob was a tyrant but somebody that I actually connected with and understood that he was ultimately acting out of love of, of the film that he was making and a, and, a, and a commitment to getting a job done. Harvey, I think, was a different animal entirely that I don't pretend to be able to psychoanalyze, except that I was probably uh, uh, one of the charter members of the uh, Harvey Haters Club, even before the whole Me Too thing oh, wow. came along. And such that whenever I was at, um, at the Weinstein Company, literally I would sink into a doorway and get out of the way when Harvey was going by because I didn't want him to stop and look at me and go, what is that son of a bitch doing in my office? Um, I already fired him. Oh my goodness. Wow. And so, um, you know, I, I spent a lot of time avoiding Harvey until there was a certain point when enough distance had been between our encounters that I don't think he would have recognized me and picked me out of a police lineup, in which case I could attend some of the dimension parties and, and gatherings and, and show up on set when he was there. So, um, so yeah, I just, I just found that he was a man lacking in any kind of human qualities that I could relate to. And it wasn't until obviously much later that we all saw that that there were things that none of us knew that he was doing that yeah. surpassed even what I would have accused him of being okay. at the time. Did, um, did your association with him, even though it was very minimal, have any impact on, you know, when, when 
when the proverbial crap hit the fan, so to speak? No, um, my, my only question really was, um, and is to this day, how to deal with, uh, I'm, I'm actually fr friends with Bob Weinstein and would work with him in a heartbeat. Okay. Um, and this whole concept that we as a culture, I'm, I'm sorry to drift into this, but that's okay. it's part of the whole Harvey thing is that there's a tendency for the, 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 um, the public to look at Harvey and Bob in the same um, sphere, that they're, they're, they're two sides of the same coin and they're not. Um, and I think there's been a great unfairness caused um, by this tendency to want to drag everybody down by association, that you're your brother's keeper and, and right. that you are responsible for anything that the people in your circle do. And I truly don't believe that Bob was culpable in any way in um, facilitating Harvey, Harvey's predations, except to the extent that he might have not stopped him soon enough. But they were barely speaking, if at all, for the last five years that I was working there. I mean, there was an enmity between those two that I don't pretend to understand fully, but they were not co-conspirators in Harvey's um, affairs. And so that to me, the, the downfall of both brothers, I think was um, an over, over extension of the revulsion that people had toward Harvey. Mm. All right, so tell so us about the, the new film, Max, we're coming close to running out of time. My Best yes. Worst Adventure. It's a family film. I was thinking we're gonna go horror and slashing. Now you're totally just taking me. The next horror film, I'm going to be one of your killers, right? That's for sure. We're going to make that happen, right? Uh, yeah. You know what? Um, I, forgive me, but it may be a sequel, you know, because I, I do a lot of horror sequels and you may wind up like not being the guy that defines that character. You may be the guy, oh, oh, so now he's being, he's being played by Neil. Um, <laughs> when before he was being played by somebody we recognized from from uh, Halloween one. Anyway, um, this movie is it is not a horror film yet. In a sort of way, it is because I couldn't escape that um, that background, I guess, because it's about a girl from LA who's comes from a a, a shattered family. Um, that causes her to actually become mute. And she winds up essentially being shipped off to this tiny, bizarre um, town in Northern Thailand, um, as if she had been dropped on an alien planet and surrounded by predatory monsters. And so that's how she looked at it. And that's how I sort of, that was my window into the movie. And so um, I sort of ran with that idea. And uh, how you felt so far about everything, how it turned out and everything. It's probably with, with, uh, with respect to, um, to Bill and Ted and, and Nightmare being two of my favorite movies I've worked on. This is my, the film I am most proud of having been involved with because it has everything for me. It has character and heart and suspense and comedy and drama and um, a, a heavy dose of weirdness. 
and all centered around this sport of, of buffalo racing, which is really just crazy in itself. It's these kids that actually ride stampeding buffaloes uh, for sport and risk every time they climb on top of these things of getting trampled to death. Um, and that has become sort of a national sport in Thailand. And, and wow. it, it's truly bizarre. It's like watching Seabiscuit with no guardrails. Wow. Uh, speaking of sequels. Any... Oh, but please do. <laughs> Are you the king of sequels? Is that what I read? Or is that somebody else? Somebody, somebody in some website um, wrote that I was the direct-to-video sequel king. And okay. um, Where that? I, I wasn't sure whether it was great to be a king of a small uh, empire or whether it was better to drop well, that handle <laughs> entirely. Star Wars franchise, it's a good thing. Um, exactly. Any, any uh, talk about um, another Bill and Ted or are they just too old for it to work? Um, that to me that's kind of a certain point one wants to move on um so and it wouldn't got, work new actors of course because it's just not the same thing yeah I, I i don't know i i think there's something and this is just me of course being proprietary <laughs> but there's something really charming about the first couple and you just want to leave it. Dumb and dumberer didn't work. And you just don't go there too, too many times to the well for me is, is, I don't know. It's, there are other things that we can be doing, but um, there are some sequels have more potential than others. I would, for instance, I'd make another in the prophecy series in a heartbeat because there's so much rich, richness there to explore for anybody who has, has seen it and knows what I'm talking about. Um, but now I'm actually into a new thing, um, which is the next couple of films I have coming up are sort of reimaginings of old classic films. Like I'm doing shooting one um, in a couple of weeks uh, with um, um, Danny Trejo in the lead as uh, a sort of a reimagining of the Magnificent Seven in a sort of a oh. modern context. And another one later on in uh, South Africa, if this whole variant thing calms down, um, which is uh, a reimagining of Treasure of the Sierra Madre, the old bogey film. So for me, that's a different kind of like sequel. It's not like a numerical sequel, but it's taking an idea that was really pretty cool and putting your own spin onto it. All right, so we're gonna jump back to David has his final question. That's why he's called the caregiver. You're gonna find out, uh, Joel, why he's the caregiver. Go ahead, Dave. Yeah, my wife had a stroke 25 years ago. She was only 52. And oh, man. Uh, lost her speech, became paralyzed. But after a couple of years of grieving, she decided to reinvent herself. And now she's like amazing. She does almost everything she did before with one arm and one leg tied behind her back and basically duct tape over her mouth. And I became Dave, the caregiver's caregiver, helping other caregivers survive and thrive this thing called caregiving because 30% of them actually die before their loved ones do. You know, I've, I've been on uh, 50 morning shows. Uh, they're making a movie about our life together. And so my question to you is, um, uh, I believe that everyone is eventually going to either become a caregiver or need a caregiver. Now's the time to prepare for it. Is, is caregiving in your life 
Do you know anyone who who has uh, needed care by you or uh, close family members? You know what? I, I am so impressed with that because I don't think there's a higher purpose in life than doing what you're doing, which is helping another kindred soul, especially one that's obviously very dear to you, have, have a richly deserved life. And the closest thing for me right now, and it's, it's, it's been a real eye-opener for a lot of reasons, largely because of what you say that eventually, you know, we will find ourselves being the cared for um, at some point in our lives. But my wife's 94 year old mother, you know, is now learning about incapacities. And mm-hmm. um, when you're fiercely independent, as I bet your wife was to learn to accept care is as hard as it is to give care at, at a lot of the time and watching that how somebody navigates that because i you know i'm getting to a point where i am describing myself as a a on the threshold senior citizen i guess we'd call it and they're done that yeah and you see you see that this is a trajectory that you're going to have to navigate at some point yourself and um what a learning experience to see how somebody does it well Exactly. How and and I, I can only imagine just the fact that you're still there and smiling that your wife has figured it out and taught you some really valuable lessons. We're both smiling. Go to caregiverdave.com and you'll find out why. All right. Perfect. So finish up, Joel. So when are you going to have me in? I'm six ten, <laughs> two hundred eighty five pounds. Got to get me in a horror film at one point in time. Um, <laughs> do you have time for a quick audition? <laughs> what do you want me to do i want i want you to just look in the camera and and choke it out with your with your scary face choke the cam like is that yeah, like like either. if the camera was right here you're going to reach in and you're just going to choke that camera out and and you're going to scare the hell out of us okay right. scare me neil scare me scare <laughs> 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 All I can say is that's a whole lot better than what I expected. Wow. Okay. Wow. I got a little bit of it. What, what do you think, Dave? I got a little chill out of that. Uh, well, it would have been better if he was a little further back because I couldn't see from yeah. half the eyeballs up. But oh, he no, the no. eyes and everything. That's from pro wrestling. I put my whole wrestling. That's, I was a bad guy in wrestling, so I know how to do Yeah, it. no, he did it. And, 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 and I think... The lean in was because I leaned back for that. That was like, whoa, yeah. this guy, this guy's serious. I have to watch that on film. Go figure. <laughs> I've challenged people as boxers, everything. We'll stay in touch. Best place we can connect with you in the film. Where's the best place? Uh, well, I am at uh, at Joel Swasson. Um, our movie, which I'd love you to visit. We have all connections and great reviews and links and other good stuff um, is at uh, my best ADV adventure. Um, uh, and we're on Facebook at my best uh, worst adventure. So I, if you just hit that little Google thing, we old people don't really quite know how it works yet. But if you type in the name on your QWERTY device or whatever, or speak it, you'll see it come up and there'll be all sorts of cool options. We're, we're out today. Awesome. Um, so this is especially cool to be able to talk to you on our uh, on our debut uh, 
day and um, uh, go see it. Because if, if, if you like any of the stuff I've ever done, as, as hopefully somebody does, um, I think you'll really like this. All right. Awesome. Well, it was an honor, Joel, to have you on the show. Thanks again. Appreciate it. That, guys, was the Caregiver Dave Celebrity segment. Take care. Thank you.